Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Today, you'll meet Brigitte. Brigitte is a sister without a sister. Her sister, Aubrey, was born deaf and with cerebral palsy. They were only 18 months apart in age and were extremely close. As always, if you are enjoying the podcast, I'd appreciate if you could leave a rating and review. And now, Brigitte's story. Hi, this is Beth. Welcome back to the podcast. Today I have with me Brigitte. Um, and Brigitte and I met over a year ago. It's hard to think now that um, in September of 2020, we both were participants in this made to do this program for um, kind of learning to find out what your thing is and, and what to do. And um, she has thoroughly blossomed through that. Um, you're going to get to hear a little bit about what she's done with that. But the connection that we're making today is that we are both sisters without sisters. Um, this is the Daughters Without Moms podcast, but you know that I'm also a daughter without a dad and a sister without a sister. Um, and Brigitte has a story that she's going to share with us today about her sister, Aubrey. So I reached out to her to see if she'd be willing to uh, share about Aubrey today. And she graciously um, accepted so I'm going to let Brigitte tell you about her and then share the story of Aubrey, and then we will come back and have some conversation. But just for a little bit of intro for um, Brigitte, I would say that the two things that I wrote down, I told her I did some, you know, some snooping and stuff on her website, but glitter and tacos <laughs> um, are two things that I've learned about Brigitte, not only from her website, but just throughout her, her social media and things. So you guys can't see us. I'll have to take a picture and post it, but I wore all my glitter for Brigitte today because I am also a glitter girl, which um, embarrasses my two young adult daughters to no end, but it's too bad because it just makes me happy. I look down at my feet and I see my glitter heads and it just makes me happy. And Brigitte has the same shoes, so they can't be all bad. <laughs> this was always meant to be. I mean, we're picking the same shoes. We're meant to be on a podcast together. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So I'm going to turn it over to you and let you introduce yourself and um, share your story. And then we all have a conversation when you are done. So thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Beth. So like Beth said, my name is Brigitte Heller. And I am the founder of The Strong and Capable, and that really matters because this story is literally all about The Strong and Capable. It, when people ask where it came from, that's the story. It came from my sister. And so it's hard to know where to start when you're telling these stories of the heart, when they're really deep and intense. It's hard to know. How do you explain the most intense emotions you've ever felt in your life, right? How do you explain the things that if you haven't experienced it, you really don't know. You don't know what it's like to have your heart scooped out completely and have that empty feeling and not be able to rise from the ground because the intensity of the emotion is keeping you, you know, on in the fetal position on the floor, which is what this did to me, losing my sister did to me. But um, you should know a little bit about Aubrey. I think that's important. And Aubrey is 18 months younger than me. Um, Aubrey... I'm the oldest of seven and she was the second, right? So there were a lot of us. It was fun. It's chaotic in our household. A lot of dancing and singing. Five of us are girls. So I was making YouTube videos before there was a YouTube. <laughs> we would dress each other up and sing and dance. But Aubrey was never singing and dancing with us because Aubrey was deaf and she had cerebral palsy and was in a wheelchair. 
but Aubrey was with us. She just wasn't dancing. And so we would dress her up the same as us every year. We would do a Christmas show um, on Christmas Eve and we would make up our own lyrics to traditional Christmas songs or, you know, elaborate costumes and productions in our minds, in our 12-year-old minds. These were very elaborate, the dollar store jingle bells <laughs> and tinsel. But we would, I remember um, we sang a song one year, do, 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 do. You know, I saw mama kissing Santa Claus. Well, we did, I saw a hot guy drive by last night was how we reworded that. <laughs> And we put a baseball cap on Aubrey and wheels and made her wheelchair look like a car and then like shoved her across the room while my sister sang this song and Aubrey was the quote unquote hot guy. You know, so she was always involved in these things, however we could have her involved. And she was feisty. Oh my gosh, that girl, she could army crawl. And so she would get my mom's purse and the keys and crawl to the door. She was out of there. She was going shopping. If you took Aubrey to Disneyland, she would cry on the carousel and laugh her head off on the crazy rides. She loved life and she let you know what she wanted. So even though she couldn't talk, we always knew exactly what Aubrey needed and wanted. And if she had the power chair and had the control, you have to watch out because she would run over anybody to get to what she wanted. She did not care who you were. So Aubrey was full of life and feisty and she was my best friend. I took her to a second grade show and tell because she was amazing to me and I wanted everyone to know her. I rode the bus with her every day. I dressed us up, as I mentioned, the same as often as possible. And a lot of times when the kids were out running in the sprinklers or in the pool, she liked to swim, but it, it took a lot of work to swim with her. You know, you had to have an adult who could carry her. I sat inside with her or I, she had so many surgeries. She had a steel rod from the top of her neck all the way back down to her tailbone. And that was weeks and weeks of recovery and surgeries. And I stayed in the hospital with her. Even as a 12 year old girl, I would stay there with her or a 15 year old girl. Aubrey was my best friend. We were more like twins. So uh, after I got married, when I had kids, of course, by this time she was big enough. My parents had her in a care center. And so I would take them once a week. So they could know Aubrey and they could, we'd color with her and paint her nails and do things that she hated, but she was glad we were there. And she always made you kind of pay for not, if you went two weeks, she would not look at you for like 15 minutes and let you know that um, she was not happy with you. <laughs> so I had to, Aubrey, you know, she takes me to task regularly <laughs> on these things, but it was a Christmas eight years ago that we got the phone call that she had pneumonia that she had aspirated and got pneumonia and that she was not doing well. And we had had a scare almost exactly a year before where the hospital, she was doing horrible and the hospital kept trying to kick her out and we were fighting insurance and it was crazy. So this was scary because we had already almost lost her once. And if you know anything about CP kids, a lot of times they don't live past 30. And so every time she got sick, this was scary. She was 30, you know? So it was, it was her time. Um, yeah, if you do the math, you can figure out how old I am. I just realized it <laughs> but we got the call. My mom flew out Christmas day and within two days said, guys, it's not good. Come on up. And so we drove all night long with the windows down and music loud to keep ourselves awake to get to her. And once we got there, like I, as always, could not leave Aubrey's side. My husband was home with the kids. He didn't bring the kids. And I just drove up to where she was. And it was the most 
traumatic week and a half of my life. Because what happens if you know anything about the body is when you're really sick, when your body really knows it's time to go and it's battling something, it starts taking care of itself. So her body was literally removing pieces of itself to shut down. And so it was horrible. I, I thought the movies don't make it look like this. You know, the, the sitcoms and the dramas, it's never like this. This is really traumatic and really hard. And she was in so much pain. And I remember one night as she was back, you know, behind me and the doctors were taking care of her and I couldn't even bear to look. It was so horrible. The things that they needed to do and that she was going through. And I remember looking out and looking at the um, fireworks because it was New Year's and thinking, here's the world celebrating and I'm in the, the deepest parts of my life. And what does this year look like? How do I work through this? How do I process this? So this is maybe more than you wanted to know, <laughs> but this is, this was reality. And I think we don't talk about reality enough. I think we don't share. And when we don't share, it's so much scarier and harder when we're there. So there were some cool things that happened. We painted her nails. We only had some bright pink and Aubrey hated pink. She hated anything girly. She wanted reds, greens, bright oranges, but we had pink and she let us paint her nails even though she was so sick. And so we posted on the internet, hey, prayers for Aubrey. We're painting our nails pink in honor of her. We don't know what this looks like, but if you wanna join us. And we had hundreds of people. I mean, Facebook's so cool, right? In these moments, we had hundreds of people paint their fingernails pink and post thinking of Aubrey today, thinking of Aubrey, thinking of you guys. And so even through the hard, there was some really beautiful, sweet, tender moments that we got to experience. And to this day, when my fingers are pink, I think of her. It's, it's Aubrey, even though she hated pink. And then I laughed that she hated pink, but I'm still wearing it for her. She's probably so frustrated with me right now every time I do that. But as her body shut down, and as people kind of go away, right? Because people come, they rally for you, and then they kind of leave. And towards the end, we found ourselves very much alone in this. And it was me and another sister sitting on the side of her bed. And there were our parents in the room too, but we all had different roles. And me and my sister were sitting next to Aubrey and we were rubbing her hands and rubbing, you know, isn't it beautiful when you love someone, you rub their face, such a, a term of love when you just smooth the hair away, rub their cheeks. And so we we're just smoothing her hair away and rubbing her arms and telling her how much we love her. And she got really scared. And that freaked me out because honestly, I'm a religious person. And I thought, I know at the end of death, you always hear these stories, these things that people see or feel, and she's scared. And she's the most spiritual person I've ever met. And so why the heck is she scared? <laughs> really? freaked me out. And then it came to me because we have this deep connection. Like I said, we never needed words to communicate that she was not scared to die. She was scared to leave us. She knew that leaving us would break us up. And so I, in that moment knew I needed to comfort her. And so in the hardest moment of my life, and this is how right life-changing service happens like this, the hardest moment of my life, I had to forget myself for a second and focus solely on her. And I said to her, Aubrey, you are so strong and capable. You can do this. We love you. We will always love you. It's okay to let go. And I said that to her multiple times, just over and over, I think as much for myself as for her, 
You are strong and you are capable. You are strong and you are capable. It's okay to let go. We love you. And of course she did eventually pass away. And I felt, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, empty. It was a whirlwind. We were out of town. So she passed away. I think it was a Thursday and the funeral was Saturday. I mean, it was so fast. They didn't even know if they could do it kind of a fast, you know, the mortuary and whatnot. So it was, she passed away at five in the morning and at eight o'clock I was looking at coffins and that was so emotionally just, that wrecked me. I mean, I hadn't even processed the fact that she was gone and here I am, you know, moving on. And that was, it was horrible. So it took me weeks and months to recover. And I don't know that you recover. I think that's not the right word, (laughs) but I have a son on the spectrum. And so as I'm grieving, as I'm trying to process that she no longer is in this life and there are no more her being feisty, no more crazy roller coaster rides, no more dressing the same or laughing at stupid things together and with her, no more watching The Little Mermaid, which was her favorite movie. As I was processing all of that, my son would say, mom, I mean, when the body decomposes, do you think there's bugs in there? Mom, do you think that her skin is different yet? I would just like, I cannot talk to you, child. This is horrible. I had to have a good talk with my husband and ask him to please take all questions regarding decom- <laughs> decomposing. It was horrible. It was really horrible because I was totally devastated and I'm trying to respect him knowing he doesn't understand. But he was not intentionally doing this, but he really didn't understand. So I'm grieving and it and grieving and grieving. And again, I'm a woman of faith. So I'm praying and I'm reading my scriptures and I'm serving people and I'm doing all the quote unquote things that help you feel better. And I was not feeling better. And I was going to, in my religion, we have temples. So I was going to the temple. I thought maybe I'll find her. And really what I was doing was searching for Aubrey. Maybe if I pray, I'll find Aubrey. Maybe if I go to the temple, I'll find Aubrey. Maybe if I open the scriptures, I'll find Aubrey. Maybe if I listen to her favorite movie or, or, you know, the music, I'll find Aubrey. And no matter what I did, I didn't find Aubrey. And so my despair continued to get deeper and deeper and deeper. And I'm very open on my podcast and in my communities about um, the fact that I already struggle with anxiety and depression. That's already a thing for me. I had postpartum depression, prepartum depression, anxiety my whole life. It's real. And so the intensity of this loss and already a a disposition, a predisposition to this made it really bad. And I got to the point where I just didn't care. I didn't care about life. I didn't care about, I mean, I am very creative human. I own a second business as Beth knows. And so I'm always doing big events, big galas or, or birthday parties or redecorating my house. I didn't want to do any of it, right? Creativity goes right out the door when you're hurting. So creativity is gone, which is usually the thing that pulls me back. My family, people don't know how to comfort you. They always say, I'm sorry. And then you think, and then you find yourself comforting them for some reason. It's okay. It's not okay though. It doesn't feel okay. You know, so I learned a a lot about how to comfort someone from this. And the other hard and horrible thing that kept happening is because she was cerebral palsy and deaf, people say, oh, but she's so much better now. She's free. And well, didn't you know this was coming? Didn't you know? No, this is my other half of my heart here. It doesn't matter how early someone goes. 
it still hurts. It doesn't matter how different they were. It still hurts. And so people were trying to justify not hurting and that hurt worse. That hurt deeper. So this went on for months and I was in church one Sunday and I remember looking at the preacher and thinking I should feel something, but I don't. In fact, I really don't care. I don't care what he's saying. I don't care about these people around me. I don't care about my husband. I don't care about my kids. I don't care because I feel hollowed out. I feel like the essential part of me that gave me life and made me happy and a contributor to the world is gone. And so I don't care. And if I don't care, and if I can't serve them, because I hadn't been serving my family, I hadn't been keeping the house clean or making meals or doing any of the things, you know, that I typically would do. If I can't serve them, what good am I to them? Right? What good am I? Do I have a purpose? I don't think so. I think the purpose is over. My purpose was to serve Aubrey and she's gone. So I'm good. I can be gone. And it was really, truly the moment. I apologize. I have a dog. But it was really, truly in this moment of me saying, it's okay. I do not need to be here. I do not need to exist anymore. I was at the deepest, darkest part of that pit that I felt with all my heart. I felt Aubrey's hands on my shoulders. And I heard her say to me, Bridgette, you are strong and capable. You need to get up and go to work. And she said it three times. And it was so clear as day that it was Aubrey. Mind you, she made a lot of noises, but she never talked. But I knew with all my heart that Aubrey was telling me to get up and go to work, that I had a purpose. And that, of course, is why it's called the strong and capable. But I remember bawling here in church and bawling and looking around being like, did nobody else hear that? Did nobody else feel that? And of course, no one else did because it was meant for me. But since that day, I have been searching and working and wanting to understand what it means to be strong and capable. What does that mean? And what does the world need from it? And so that's where I'm at, right? So I started the strong and capable and I, it was just an Instagram. That's it. But as I found my purpose, it really is Aubrey. Every person has worth and value. It doesn't matter what they look like, what they sound like, what their impairments are, or their strengths are. Every person has worth and they're strong and capable. And Aubrey knew that with all her heart. She laughed despite all the horrible things she went through. And I knew that because I was exposed to her and I saw how, she, how brightly she shined in life. And it was something I couldn't deny. And it's something that I wanted women to know. And that now that's what I spend every day doing is letting people know how they're strong and capable. So that's the story of Aubrey. That's the story of how I got to where I'm getting, but it's also the thing that each day impacts me when I'm struggling, you know, before I started this podcast, it's like, Hey, Aubrey, where are you? I need you. Mm -hmm. I need you right here. So, and she tells me often, you would not believe this was story. This story was so sacred to me. I never thought I would tell anyone it ever. 
in my life. I was like, this is, you know, some things are so special. The world should not know about them because, you know, they don't appreciate them. But this story I've ended up telling hundreds of people now. And every time it's like a little nudge from her, like, Hey, tell my story, tell my story. Cause it's her story more than anything. And sometimes it's awkward. I was at a retreat once, a, a women's retreat. And it's like, Hey, tell my story. I was like, uh-uh. They're all socializing. I'm not going to be like, excuse me, ladies. I have a story. It might make you cry. <laughs> no, it was like, tell it, tell it, tell it. And I finally did. And it was a beautiful connection I made with these women at this retreat, the ones that heard it. So, you know, it, it really is her story. And, and thank you, Beth, for having me on here, really, truly to, to share it. I, in the moment, felt her again today. And that's a, mm-hmm. a rare gift. Thank you. Oh, that's awesome. Well, um, I understand what you're saying about, you know, the hole in your heart. And it's, it's like something walking, something that of you outside of your body. Like, I don't know, you know, I, and some people, I don't know if they have um, strong sister relationships, um, but you obviously did. I did with mine because we lost our mom when we were 13 and 16 and our parents were already divorced. And, and so we really clung to each other because we were the only ones who understood what we were going through. But when that part of you is gone, it literally is just like part of you is, is outside of your body and is no longer um, available physically. Um, but I love that Aubrey is available for you uh, spiritually. So I think that that's just awesome. Um, you know, my sister was the inspiration for what I'm doing with this because, you know, she passed in January of 2020. I turned 50 in March and then the the country literally shut down on my 50th birthday. And so I used all that time, you know, to do a lot of the processing and the thinking and the, and the soul searching. And so I realized like I never fully grieved my mom because I think as a 13 year old, how do you do that? So I went back to that as daughters without moms, because they say, you can't teach from a, from a wound. It has to be a scar. And my sister and my dad are both still, um, wounds, but she was definitely the, um, the inspiration that led me, led me to that point. And I, and I, I wanted to get your opinion on this because a lot of people say, oh, you're turning your pain into purpose. And I, it makes me bristle a little bit. Like, I don't necessarily like that. It's more of that. She opened my eyes to what's important Mm -hmm. and, and, and made me kind of reevaluate my own life and my own choices and what I was doing. And, and then thinking about, you know, what is your, your purpose and your service to others? Um, and so I, I don't know how to say it to not, not be like, no, it's not, it's not that to me, it's more than that. And maybe it's also like how you were saying that it's Aubrey's story. Like, and like, for me, it's, it's Amy's story. Like this, it, she's the one who has led to this. Um, so you're so beautiful with words. Do you have a way, like, I don't, I don't like pain into purpose, my inspiration to, I don't know, to, like, have you ever thought about that and, and how you would word it in a better way? Like you said, you can't teach from a, a wound. You can't do mm-hmm. that. And so it's not until the healing comes that, so it's not pain to purpose. I agree with you. I kind of hate that. And I think the reason I hate it is because I watch too many seasons of reality TV where they take these painful moments and make them a hero because of it, yes. you know, and yes. I'm like, even American Ninja Warrior, they do that. 
they take the, you you can't even be on the show unless you have a painful past like it's just a requirement for being on reality tv and they so didn't true. want to be that that didn't feel like honoring her and yes. again that's why i thought i would never share the story because i'm not about that mm-hmm. <laughs> but but when you have a purpose it, it it's a different purpose it's not about taking the pain from the purpose it's taking the knowledge from the pain mm, there we go there we go you have a knowledge now that you would not have without that pain. And so that knowledge needs to go to others so that as they work through their pain, they have something to help them, to guide them. And that's what you're doing. That's why it's so beautiful because so few people are open to really talking about it. Mm-hmm. I, I had a miscarriage years ago and it was horrible. They, it didn't fully, I didn't fully miscarry and I didn't know cause I'd never had a miscarriage. And so my body shut down, shut down, shut down, shut down for six weeks. This went on me almost passing out, massive blood clots. I didn't know. I thought it was normal. And the midwife kept saying, you're fine. You're fine. Six weeks is normal. Well, I went in at six weeks and the doctor took one look at me. I was like, oh no, this is not normal. normal." And I ended up having a procedure. But the point to this little story is that I didn't know. No one had taken their pain, the knowledge from their pain and shared it's so taboo still to talk about. And I didn't know because no one had spread the knowledge. So I think it's really, we are called to share it if we've been through the pain, but it's not purpose of pain, it's knowledge that the world needs. Right, right. And I think it kind of coincides with your thing that um, everyone has worth. Every single person has worth. And so that's why, you know, the podcast is called Daughters Without Moms, but I've had sons without moms, I've had husbands without wives on it, um, you know, sisters without sisters, because there, I would never, I, every story, every story is so important. Um, and that's also why I mute myself and let you tell your whole story because it's your story. It's not my story. Um, and I don't want to interrupt, you know, your, your, how you're recounting that story today, because how you told it to me today, I guarantee is different than how you told it to those women at that retreat. So every time it's that unique opportunity to learn something new. Um, And so I, I love that we are both taking our knowledge from our journeys with our sisters and trying to honor what we've learned from that and offer the same opportunity to others. Because I think that that's what, you know, there's that, I think it's a Maya Angelou quote that people won't remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And sometimes people are like, this is the only time I've ever told that whole story from beginning to end. Um, But it is how you make people feel. You were going to say something. Yeah, it's interesting what preparing for this interview, it's hard to prepare for something emotional. I'm like, I'm not gonna write it out, then it's not authentic. And I'm all about authenticity. So that doesn't work. So I was trying to find quotes and the two quotes I found, I feel like go 100% into what you're talking about. So this one is from Gina DeVee's book, um, Audacity to be Queen. And she said, a queen's dance through life is highly intentional. She is fearless in her calling and has the intact intuition to discern the difference between a passing craving and a spirit-led on purpose desire. So what you're talking about, this is on purpose desire. This is not just a, hey, I have this thing. I'm going to share it. I'm going to make it purposeful. This is like, I know what I need to do with this. And it's full of passion and it's moving forward and it's changing the world. So then the second quote is, I hope you live a life you're proud of. 
if you find you're not, I hope you find the strength to start all over again. And that's F. Scott Fitzgerald. And I think, again, this conversation, like when we go through these moments to live a life that we're proud of, because they change you, they alter you. You are not the same after losing someone you love. Mm-hmm. And it takes courage and strength to start again. Mm-hmm. But when you do, and you do it with purpose, you do live a life you're proud of. And that makes those who you love proud of you too, I think. It honors mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, and to be honest, I was just talking to my husband about this. Um, he was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago because it was our 25th anniversary. So I kind of interviewed him to get his uh, view on this grief journey with me, plus his own. He was extremely close to my sister. I don't know if I will truly ever um, grieve the loss of my sister. So he was like, you know, I don't really think that you've, fully grieved Amy yet. And I'm like, yeah, I think you're right. And after losing my mom and then my dad, and now my only sibling, I'm like, I literally don't know if my brain would allow me to, to go there. I don't know if I have the capacity to be able to fully acknowledge that she's gone. Um, because it's just so, so big. Um, so, Um, but I do believe, you know, you said something about, it's not like you get over your grief because your person is not coming back and your normal is not ever going to be the same because everything has changed in that. But for me, it's learning how to live with it and carry it with you. And, you know, it ebbs and flows just like the tide and some days are better than others. And sometimes it sucks the life and the breath right out of you, um, but being able to be open and honest and sharing those kinds of things, it's just like, for me personally, it's just a breath of fresh air to be like, oh, you know, life isn't all, we love glitter, but life isn't all rainbows and glitter and sunshine. Um, but I also believe uh, that it directly affects the height of your joy when you, if you try to numb and stuff your feelings, mm-hmm. everything stays on the same level to however you've allowed to stuff it go up or down. So that I know that feeling grief is really hard and working through it is really hard, but the more you allow yourself to do that, then I personally believe the higher your highs are Mm -hmm. because you're not stuffing it and not uh, feeling it. So I agree so much to this so much. And it reminds me of a story that I sometimes tell about my own family. So as I mentioned, my son's on the spectrum. And then I have two teenagers, one in college and one who's, you know, driving and dating and all the things, uh, two boys and a girl. And it's very volatile in my house. Sometimes <laughs> we got, we got a little PTSD. We got a little ADHD. We got a little spectrum. You've got me with the anxiety. I mean, it's where it's a little intense here. And so we were having a night with a meltdown from my son on the spectrum and I was laughing, but trying to roll him to his room to get him to a safe place where he could have his meltdown. And so I'm rolling him, ha, 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 this is so funny. And he's yelling at me, I'm like, ha, ha, this is so funny. And um, anyway, he rolled on his fingers and I thought he broke his fingers. He just starts screaming. I heard a pop. I was like, oh my gosh, I just broke my kid's fingers. CPS is gonna show up. This is bad. So then he has a bigger meltdown. Then my kids step in. They're thinking they're trying to help me, but it's making it worse anyway. It was horrible. It was horrible. It was one of those nights where I was like, this is worse than the sitcom. Once again, they don't show this. This is not real. But but um everyone was screaming at everyone. Everyone was crying. We ended the night at 12 o'clock with my 12-year-old son on the spectrum holding a pen and saying, You don't talk unless you have the pen. <laughs> he, he overcame his meltdown to try and calm us all down. 
I mean, it was, it was bad. It was really, really bad. And I woke up the next morning and I was crying and I've never done that before where I woke up with tears streaming down my eyes. And I just had a pity party for myself. And I thought when I thought about being a mom, this was not it. This was really not it. This, this sucks. Actually, there's no part of this I like. And when I pictured my kids and what they would do, you know, they come to you and they're these beautiful bundles of joy. This was not it. This was not it. This is not how I pictured them. What I thought they're all struggling. None of us are doing well. This was a while ago. This is really not good. And I feel so broken. And I just started meditating, meditating slash praying, like just throwing that out there. Like this is horrible. This is not what I pictured and I'm broken. And I, here I am with a podcast and a membership and all these things, but I'm broken. How on earth can I help other people? when I'm so broken, this feels very inauthentic and fake. And that's not what I'm about. That's not who I want to be. I don't want my daughter to write a book in 20 years talking about how messed I am. I don't want that, <laughs> but I don't want that. Anyway, we're going through this and I just get these words into my heart and my mind. And it was Bridget, but you love glitter. Yeah. So but glitter is so broken. It's the most broken thing in the world. And yet it shines more because of it. And so I spent the morning researching glitter like a dork, but it really has changed my perspective on broken. I mean, they say broken is beautiful, but it really is beautiful. I like shiny things, but the things that shine the most are the broken ones, mm -hmm. the things that are crushed into a tiny million little pieces. So when we lose people, when we are, life falls apart and we're crushed into a million pieces, we can get some good old glue and paste it onto a surface. We're good to go. <laughs> We're gonna light up the world with that glittery crap. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And that reminds me of, um, you know, one of my, my dad loved Leonard Cohen. He was this really obscure musician artist. Um, but he has a song called Anthem and it says, part of it says crack, the cracks are what lets the light in, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording about our different journeys since that online course that we did that you know perfect is is first of all it's not realistic it's not achievable it's not healthy um and I feel like sharing the story and being honest about the story with others there's a there's a quote to about it, it lifts the load right when you share the journey with others it just lifts the load and lets you breathe a little deeper and just it it lets it, we, I've heard you talk about shame in your podcast before. Shame loves secrecy, boy. You keep it a secret and shame will just keep that stronghold will get tighter and tighter, tighter, but shame cannot survive being spoken. Mm -hmm. So when you say it out loud, it's just like, <sighs> you know, and then when you do it, you realize that everybody, everybody is beautiful and broken. Mm -hmm. Glenn, Glenn, a, uh, Glenn and Doyle Melton has that word brutal brutal and beautiful it's yeah. brutal life is brutal yeah yeah I can't tell you how many conversations I have with women because they always I mean with the work I do they come to me when they're having a hard time and so all the time there's so much shame for just feeling sad just feeling sad or feeling bitter or frustrated when their kids were jerks or you know they're just sad and I talk to a lot of women, 35 to 55 is kind of my range. So we're mostly having teenagers and college kids and they're not always nice. They're stinkers, <laughs> you know, like you, again, when they're three and four, you handle it. When they're 19, you're like, what the heck jerk, but <laughs> so, 
there, there's shame with that too. They're like, did I not do a good enough job? Did I not? And they're processing all these things. And, and I said, no, you're just human. You're just human. Yeah. And, and we have to give each other permission to be human right. because when we're human, as you've talked about, that's when we connect. Mm-hmm. That's when the connections happen. That's when we don't feel alone. That's when the load is lifted. But if we don't allow ourselves to be human, we are more isolated. The load is heavier. It's not, it's not the way to be. It's not the way to be. Right. Totally. Hmm. Well, before we move on uh, with you telling people where all they can find you, do you have a final tip or quote or something that you would like to share with people about Aubrey and your story or beyond just the strong and capable? I totally love that. Love that. Well, of course, I believe I was in my podcast with your strong and capable friends. You can do it. Like, so that's, I believe whoever's listening, I hope, you know, look in the mirror and look into those beautiful eyes and know that you are truly strong and capable. And then my tip, of course, is if you don't feel strong and capable, find people, find that connection we're talking about, find a counselor. (laughs) I think it was Heather Chauvet. Sometimes you got to pay for your friends. It's okay. You know, like find a counselor who you can dump it all on because they can help you process it. Find an online community that's grieving or talks about grief. Find friends that accept you as you are and know that you are beautiful because of it, you know, and that you're going to continue to evolve and grow because that's what we do. We become, we transform. That's actually the theme of the podcast next year's transformation. So Mm. remember you're strong and capable and find your people, even if you got to pay for them. Mm-hmm. that's great that's great I love that okay so tell the people what where where they can find you all the things I know you have websites Instagram and you have a YouTube I hear you said I do have a YouTube oh my gosh but that that's embarrassing maybe don't find me on YouTube because <laughs> um, this was when I was first I had first lost Aubrey and I was processing so most of these videos are on my iPhone when my husband was having like a UFC fight downstairs and I was upstairs processing my grief, you know, cause he like always has the guys over and they watch the UFC fights. <laughs> so YouTube's a little embarrassing. Maybe don't check that out yet. We're going to, that's a, that's a 2022 goal. Okay. Um, <laughs> we'll you, link that or, then. <laughs> yeah. Or if you want the real thing, I guess, then go ahead and go check it out. But um, everything is the strong and capable, the website's www.thestrongandcapable.com. I have a membership community. I actually have a second one launching in January. The one right now is called Awake. And in November, you can get in for just $1. $1. And then it's $19.99 a month, which is nothing in this world. We meet every week on Zoom um, for an hour. And I record those sessions. So if you can't come, you can still watch it. There's a guidebook every month where we're processing different things. Um, it's all about knowing yourself and loving that person. I say loving the person in the mirror. I want you to look in the mirror and love that person. Um, and then we have special guests. So that is, if you're all about authenticity, come there. If you're not, I don't want you there, <laughs> but really, truly it's the most authentic, beautiful group of humans. And I love them. And then my, um, group that's launching in January is a leadership group. It's women who lead and lead is laughter, empathy, authenticity, and dedication. So it's really talking about the emotional side of leading, because so many of us women are leading from the textbook, which is great. We're powerful and strong and can do all things, but our emotions need love too. So we're talking about that. And that launches in January. So the wait list is just email me and I'll put you on the wait list. 
And then of course on Instagram, I live there basically, I think Instagram owns me. No, it doesn't, but um, it's Brigitte, B-R-I-G-E-T-T-E dot Heller, H-E-L-L-E-R. And you can message me. I love talking with people. So Hmm. DM me, let me know how you found me so I can say, Beth, you're the best. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. And that's what um, I gave uh, Bridget some kudos before we start recording that there's a lot of the, a lot of us that were in that group together that was last the fall of 2020. And she just consistently shows up as, as she is um, who she is authentically and consistently. And there's a lot to be said for that. So I think you're doing an awesome job. You guys definitely go check her out on Instagram, check out her videos and her reels. And I will put all of these links in the show notes. So if you're in the car or you're running or walking, come back and look at the show notes and we'll have all the information there. And like Bridgette said, if you're looking in that mirror and you're having a hard time, definitely reach out to either one of us. Um, We can offer you some support in that moment. And then, you know, if there's additional support that's needed, I know that both of us would be willing to help you find that because you are strong and capable and you are worthy. So thank you so much for being here. I so appreciate it. I love it. If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in sharing your story on the podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.